Hello and welcome to a very special Metastation. Uh, we just had our one year anniversary of our first podcast on April 6th. Today is April 9th when we're um, recording. And a little while ago, we hit 50,000 listens on uh, SoundCloud, although I think we actually just hit 60,000 today. Yeah. So as, <laughs> yeah. so as a celebration, we decided it would be fun to have some of our listeners on as guests on a podcast and just like get to listen to some of our, some of our favorite Metastation fans who've been listening to us and talk to you guys and just kind of open it up to um, all the people who've made this such an amazing year and such an amazing success. It feels weird to say that, but <laughs> um, so so this is our anniversary fan roundtable podcast, and we had about 35 entrants, and then we randomly chose four. Um, tragically, one of our participants, Kelly, had some technical difficulties. Her, her da- microphone was damaged, so she is not with us, but we have three other lovely people. I'm Erin. I'm an English professor in Mississippi. I'm Claire. I'm a writer in Portland, Oregon. I'm Caitlin. I'm a writer from Boston, Mass, and a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm actually a pharmacist, so a little bit different than everybody else. Um, And I live in central New York. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. I'm Danielle. I'm uh, 32. I live in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I'm a uh, customer service representative at a mortgage company. Nice. <laughs> um, and thank you all for being here. So we're going to start out with uh, an icebreaker um, activity that was actually submitted to us by one of our our people who submitted to um, to be a part of the roundtable and didn't get chosen. Um, so this is from Charlie, uh, aka Hedda Sky Crew on Twitter. Um, icebreaker with built-in character discussion. What combination of characters from the hundred, I assume, although I guess not exclusively if you want to branch out, uh, <laughs> what combination of characters best describes you? Um, so oh God, you just made this so much harder. I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> okay. Who wants to go first? <laughs> well, I'll go Aaron, first. you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I was trying to think about a uh, hundred characters, which is really tough because, you know, I love them all, but I don't actually feel like I'm that similar to most of them. Cause as I was saying, when, before we got started recording, we were talking a little bit about like, what would you do if you were living in the, in the post-apocalyptic world? And I was like, I would just want to die like before it even got, <laughs> I want to die in the first wave, you know, like I don't want to live in a post-apocalyptic world. Just like, I'm good with being done. Once the world is done, um, <laughs> which is like not the same as anybody in the show. But I think if I had to pick, I'd probably be a combination of Monty and Raven, a little Raven. And then I think actually some aspects of Octavia, um, specifically just the fact that there are a number of major decisions that I've made in over the course of my life out of sheer literal, little sisterly defiance. I was expected to do on the basis of my older brother. So, so Octavia, in the sense of like, I'm very much a little sister with an older brother, is like a big presence in my life for better and for worse. <laughs> I um I remember when like a couple of months ago when like that um 
when that Twitter meme was going around that was like, you know, pick four characters representing you. And I and I put just an absurd amount of thought into it. And um <laughs> and so where I so where I landed was like a a four-way fusion of um Miss Piggy, both of the Gellers from Friends, and <laughs> and season one Marcus Kane. <laughs> And I and I stand by that. I stand by that. <laughs> wow, that is that is something. <laughs> um, I feel bad for whoever's going to follow that. <laughs> yeah, that is that's a hard one to follow up. Um, let I, I guess I've thought a lot about this, and I feel like my answer always changes. But recently, I I'm I've landed on that I'm so like Bellamy. Only because, like, my whole identity for a long time was being an older sister. And my two siblings are significantly younger. And I I think, anyway, that I've played a pretty big um, role in their life. And half of it was as a parent. And now that they're in high school and older, like, I'm sort of more of a friend to them. And now we're trying to figure out that, you know, I can't be too overprotective. And all those things that Bellamy's sort of going through now. And it's... I guess that goes along with back when um we were playing those games on or that meme on Twitter. I also picked Fiona Gallagher from Shameless for the same reason. Like I, my whole identity for so long was an older sibling. So um yeah, I guess uh-huh. that older siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say Clark, but like I don't know if that's like flattering myself too much. <laughs> but like, but feeling like. I have that Irish Catholic guilt, so I just feel this guilt, <laughs> this like heavy guilt all the time. So that that too. <laughs> That's pretty Bellamy too. It's like my everything, my responsibility. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah I think I'm just like Bellamy to the core, and hopefully, <laughs> I can like just make some clearer decisions sometimes. <laughs> uh, Shannon. This is not easy, but I think I would have to go with Octavia. And only because I think growing up, I was so different from the rest of my family that while I didn't live under floorboards, I felt like I repressed part of who I really was and who I wanted to be. So as I got older and went out in the world, I started to emerge from the floorboards and really found like who I am and who I'm comfortable being and I think that's where Octavia is going right she didn't really know and she didn't have a chance to develop that sense of self ah that's like, such a good answer it's such a good answer you guys are like a shame I'm like I don't know Raven. <laughs> uh Danielle I'd say like personality I'm probably like a Monty Kane combination just like um, mm. kind of quiet, but want to always do like the right thing. And then for identity, mm-hmm. probably Bellamy, because I am the oldest of four. And my younger two siblings are 10 and 12 young- years younger than me. And my mom worked two jobs. So I was their mom for the first you know years of their life. I got them to school and stuff like that. And so I was very protective of them. And like Caitlin said, my identity was the big sister slash mom. And that was my identity for a really long time. And then also Raven, just because I have chronic pain all the time in my lower back. So it affects my mobility and things I can do like that. Aww. It's amazing to me how much the Blake siblings, like so many people, they just resonate so strongly because of that sibling bond. You know, there's Mm -hmm. like something just like so 
there's just something like so fundamental and so important about sibling bonds if you have them that like when you see a bond like that on TV, it just is like, like that's the thing that that's how I got attached to Bellamy first. Like first, it was the Big Brother feels. Yeah, yeah. I always find myself gravitating towards those characters on any TV show. It's like the sibling bonds. I don't know what it is, but that's just family and loyalty is like so huge where I am and where I come from. So that just that always hits me. (laughs) Yeah, and I and I like I was I was a huge. I was really into Charmed for a long time, like 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> but it was it was this the sibling bonds on Charmed, too, that was really the thing mm-hmm. that got mm-hmm. me, you know, like the close sisterly bonds. So, yeah, they're just special. Um, Kelly are. is, we can't, Kelly's mic is, when it works, it does this amazing screeching noise that sounds, <laughs> it sounds uh, <laughs> like something is possessed. But so she's on um, chat. And so she says hers would be, Harper, Maya, and Luna, which just sounds like the most lovely combination. And I, I know to I, I want to be best friends with that person. I know. Yes, like, Kelly, you're awesome. <laughs> I'm a bit of an artsy hippie type. She says, "Well, that's like it's perfect." But like you know, I feel like Maya's got that edge too. So and Luna too. Mm-hmm. Luna's kind of got an edge. So it's like hippie with an edge. Yeah. It's a good combination. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So we had everybody who uh, submitted to. We had everybody who submitted to be part of the roundtable. Give us questions that they wanted to talk about. And so we're going to go through the questions that you guys wanted to talk about. Um, and then if we have time left at the end, we'll get to some other questions from some other folks. So I'm just going to, like I told you guys, we're going to go in order uh, order of uh, questions. Um, so the first one that we're going to talk about is Caitlin's first question. Um, and that question is, what is one storyline that you really feel like wasn't delved far enough into or deserved more time and development than it got. Um, so, Caitlin, do you want to start us out? Is that if there's one that you have that you have in mind in particular, or an issue that you'd like to sort of have us respond to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's like a few that really came to mind that that prompted this for me. But I guess the most recent one, and maybe one that I feel like everyone, including maybe writers, creators, and actors agree with was um, last season's Bellamy storyline, uh, at least in the first half of the season, and really understanding why he made those decisions or uh, the decision to follow Pike and all that. I really wish we could have, even that one deleted scene that we all have seen since with him mm-hmm. and Octavia, if that had been left in, you know, I, I would have loved to see a little more of that, to see a little more of his grieving and like his side of that. I feel like so often we just hop into the action and then it's like we're sort of filling in the holes later i would have loved to see just like a little more discussion about why is bellamy thinking this which i know maybe has been talked about a lot but (laughs) (laughs) that is i feel like the big one yes (laughs) at least most recently yeah i would i would agree with that one yeah i i would too and i would also my first thought which is i which is i think really intimately connected to that was the sort of um the kind of baffling erasure of Lincoln from that part of the storyline, yeah. you know, and, yes. and any yes. sense of Bellamy and Lincoln's relationship, Lincoln as really the locus of this grounder sky crew kind of, um, you know, fusion that they're trying to build and him being there in Arcadia over that three month time jump, um, building relationships with these people. And so what it does to his relationship with Bellamy and then tangentially also to both of their relationships with Octavia, watching Bellamy make that shift, I think 
I think the the two specific like I I'm with you. I think it's the it's the the Bellamy Arcadia arc sort of all of that. But I think the two specific chunks are the lack of an election episode and the lack of really meaningful Bellamy Lincoln time that were the things mm-hmm. that jumped out the most as like if I could pick two things to add back in that would help contextualize that. That's what I'd pick. Also, just Lincoln as a character. Like we do, yeah. we have been deprived of. We don't know how he knew Luna. We don't know anything about him growing up we we know he was tree crew and that that's it and i just i feel like we were robbed of that and there's really no way at this point to come back to it you know luna's been introduced luna's in there so if that conversation was going to happen at some point i i i don't know if it will come back around it's just i really would have loved to know a little more about that uh, him as a character mm-hmm. yeah i agree Same. i agree and I kind of felt the same way as far as, like, the Bellamy story. I just didn't totally buy what was driving him was that Gina died. That just, yeah. I, I didn't have an investment in that relationship at all. And I like to kind of fill in the holes myself just because I am a blarker. And I want to say that what really set him off was that Clark wouldn't come back. Gina had just died and that sucked, but Clark wouldn't follow him back to Arcadia and kind of see things through. But that's me just totally filling in the hole, not really having any context to really support it. No, I totally agree. Yeah. And and e- even more on um, Claire, you just said something about an election episode, right? Like, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see a little more about how all these people are so connected and so trusting of Pike in the first place. Like, we don't really see any of that background of like, they just tossed Marcus Kane aside, like they were just done with right. him and Abby, and they were so ready to hop on the pipe train. It, it's just, I think there was a little more that could have been done in three A. Yeah, because I think <laughs> I think you can get there. Like I think I think that, and actually I think this 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 goes into what you were saying about you know Clark not coming back. I think I think you can make the case that the idea of um, Clark and Kane unilaterally making this decision that Sky Crew is now a grounder clan being something that flips the switch and everyone is like, hey, whoa, we didn't vote for this, but we didn't see any of that, you know? And and <laughs> so, like, so you can, you know, I think there's a lot of places where you're like, I can probably guess what you, the writers, wanted me to assume was happening, but I needed to see more of it than I was shown other, instead of being told it later, you know? Yeah. I guess I think for me, Danielle, did you? Yeah. For me, it it also kind of that election part and the internal process of Sky Crew, they're basically like a small town, like 2,000, 2,500. And I grew up in a small Mm -hmm. town. And even if you didn't know them, you knew everyone's business. And I kind of think Mm -hmm. that they forget that. Like, even if Bellamy and Clark didn't know each other or. Murphy and Bellamy didn't know each other before that. They knew of each other. They would have known everyone's business. And I think they kind mm-hmm. of forget that. And I think yeah. that would have played in the election episode because they would have known everything about Kane, at least his public f- and Pike's public mm-hmm. face from before they landed. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, I mean, Pike being a teacher, mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. would know him, you know, like if a parent. People that he taught, parents who had kids who went to school, people who went mm-hmm. to school with him. It's not like they had 
multiple schools. Right. So, like Pike, somebody yeah. who, well, and that's, which gets into something that I think is really interesting that we got none of in season three that we're starting to get a little bit, maybe in season four with Kane and Bellamy is like the idea that we, the audience have built this relationship with Kane over four seasons where we've seen him evolve into this like incredibly, you know, kind and empathetic and peace loving, you know, and wonderful person. But that's not probably how most people on the arc remember him. Like he's still the guy, you know, he's still the guy who floated Aurora. Like he's still that guy. And so I think there's something that could have been really cool in the idea of like digging a little bit more into um, the, the possibility that the general population from what they remember of the arc liked Pike better on the arc than they liked Kane and was more predisposed to trust him. And then the flip when we see what actually happens when Pike takes over as leader. Um, but like that idea. Well, I also think, yeah. I think I, I'm really frustrated that we never got to see the Arcadians react to Kane coming back from mm-hmm. Polis and being like, Hey, yo, I unilaterally decided to become right, right. part of the Alliance without talking to you guys. And yeah, apparently yeah. most of you don't feel super awesome about grounders like that would be a logical reason to me mm-hmm. why the people of arcadia might turn on him uh-huh. but other than there's sort of like i mean we got a little bit of that but only because they basically gave abby and kane the idiot ball for all right. of 304 <laughs> where they're just wandering around being like you know and then somebody's like they made just part of the alliance and they're like what well, uh, uh no uh we were gonna tell you we're gonna tell you and it's like what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, right, right. Forget how to be politicians. Yeah. In what um, world would they not have told them immediately? Be like, okay, here's what we did. And we did it for these reasons to avert a war, blah, 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 blah. Like, why would he just be like, oh, I'm just going to wear long sleeves and hope nobody asks what's on my arm. It's like, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That, that was all. Anyway. And that was, that was frustrating. Um, and I think also something that uh, kind of dropped is like that class structure they kind of started it in yeah yes. and i think all of that would play in to why the citizens of arcadia voted the way they did and we missed it all mm-hmm. and kind of have to just guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think they're definitely right and it was clear from the pilot you know from the early episodes that there's very very strong class structure and resentments on the arc and it would completely make sense for that stuff to come back yeah um on the ground so yeah so i agree um kelly says totally agree about bellamy's season three arc uh the writers didn't need to use the gina device at all and what they should have done in her opinion is simply had the mount weather bombing be carried out by grounders from a rogue terrorist tree crew which would have been very interesting Mm -hmm. if there was like a splinter tree crew group that i mean and you know what and that would have could have been logical with because we knew from the end of season two that lex's decision at mount weather was controversial even among grounders so you right, could have had right. a sort of like splinter group based on that um if a splinter terrorist faction of lex's people then bombed more sky people in the mountain then it could have sympathized more with bellamy siding with pike's ruthless and anti-grounder stance if only because bell wouldn't have been able to deal with any more of his friends allies being killed because he made the mistake of trusting the grounders mm-hmm. um and the way it was they yeah you know kelly points out they attacked the wrong army so i i agree with that there's a lot of ways yeah. that that could have works better and i think we're all sort of just like (laughs) trying to deal with our frustration um so okay um so next question this one's from danielle 
um, who just wants to know what everyone's favorite themes and or character arcs, characters and arcs are and why. So what's your favorite your favorite, like, maybe storylines and themes. I guess my favorite probably is probably, like, the found family or creating of families. Because family is so important to me. So, Bellamy and Octavia, Abby and Clark, the Griffin Canes, all of that. The delinquents, all of that found family I love so much. And how it's kind of weaving throughout all of the seasons and all of the episodes that it's important to all the characters as well. That's probably, like, my favorite theme that kind of continues throughout the episodes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yes. And then also, Always love a found family. And then also, like, a favorite arc for me would be for Raven, because it's so just personally important to me to see that part of myself on the screen represented when I don't really see it that much. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Along the lines of the found family, I like how, I just like the post-apocalyptic theme in general and how people come back from expanding what their idea of family and community really is and that they start living more communally rather than individually and they're living towards one greater purpose rather for individual purposes. Guys, you all have really smart answers. (laughs) (laughs) We have really smart listeners. (laughs) Really, really do. Yeah. I I would. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Um, (laughs) I would say that one of my favorite themes, um, the found family part is probably my favorite theme. But uh, aside from that, I really love the. Maybe there are no good guys. You know, that sort of uh, gray moral area. I love, maybe I'm a dark person. I don't know. I just like love that and love seeing everyone struggling with like who they are. And, you know, we saw it with Harper recently, you know, um, and you guys talked a lot about that, which I loved. You know, what would you do in a situation is different from what you might actually do and sort of coming to terms with that. And um, obviously Clark's whole storyline with that. But and maybe a little related, maybe that's why I love Octavia so much and her arc, which I know is probably controversial. I know there's a lot of strong feelings on both sides, which are so valid, but I love the storyline of Octavia and this dark path that she's going down, having been someone bright. And she, I think, identifies as a bad guy right now, and maybe she's coming back to a good guy, or maybe she's realizing that she is just a person in this i don't know but i i love that storyline um sort of connecting to that theme i i think one i don't know that it's necessarily like a theme but kind of an overarching um thing i guess for lack of a more articulate description um (laughs) that that i really love about this show that's when i'm trying to convince friends to watch this is sort of the selling point that i use um is the incredible um diversity of different kinds of women like and and women women in authority women leaders like powerful women and all the different configurations of what that can look like you know so you have um you've like different you know like different sexual orientations different ages different ethnicities different like personality types different sort of places in the class and political structure and they're all like incredibly strong and what that looks like is totally different. There's no kind of like sarcastic air quotes, strong female character. You know, like there's no like 
like shallow one-dimensional like you have to put a sword in someone's hand to make them badass kind of characters you have somebody like indra and you have somebody like maya who are miles apart but they're both like these incredibly compelling women role models and um so i just love that i feel like this show has like the deepest bench of interesting women that i've seen on any show since maybe like the west wing um Mm -hmm. and i just really um yeah i just never i just never get tired of it um kelly says her favorite is the Mount Weather arc in season two. It had so many eerie echoes with World War II, the Holocaust, Nazi medical experiments on POWs, Mm -hmm. and ended with Clark, our hero, essentially dropping the A-bomb and committing genocide, and how you don't lose sympathy or understanding for anyone along the way. Um, And I guess, I mean, my answer would probably be a combination of all of yours in that, I mean, I, I also, I think in terms of, like thematically, like the 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 storyline that really grabbed me and made me think that you know that this was a show that was dealing with some huge ethical questions in some interesting ways was the Mount Weather arc, um, and and the kind of slow way that they unfolded all of the various perspectives and sort of moral questions that were happening there, um, and not just between you know grounders versus Mount Weather, but also just in terms of um, you know I think it's really interesting how how automatically the delinquents identify with the people in Mount Weather. Mm-hmm. You know, how quickly they're sort of co-opted by comfort. You know, they recognize mm-hmm. these people as having a lifestyle that somewhat resembles what they had on the Ark, a culture that somewhat resembles it. It's comfortable. It's nice. So they, they identify with these people really, really quickly and, and how quickly that, that comfort means that they're willing to sort of push aside for a while their misgivings or the, the sort of sense that there's something amiss. I mean, the Clark is the only one who sort of never relaxes. And Jasper really, really wants to kind of have this place be nice. And I think that's a very, very human response. You know, I think there's something really important about realizing that kind of tug. And then also the sort of the way that that reflects how the people of Mount Weather themselves can sort of push aside what they're doing to stay alive in the interest of their own comfort of their own lives. Um, and then, um, you know, and then and then someone like Maya. So so within this culture, you know, I, I really love that you have a sort of culture that's very, very totalizing a culture that's sort of built on this this really horrifying exploitation of a group of people that they've deliberately kind of made other, you know, they call savages in order to justify what they're doing to them. I like that within this culture, these sort of show like you have resistance. There are people with even within this culture who've always been in it who can look at it and recognize what's morally wrong and try to resist it, um, even though it's unsuccessful, you know, even though though Maya's mother, I think the implication was she died because she was resisting, because she wouldn't take the blood, you know, there's a, so, so I, lo- I thought that Maya was such a fantastic character from that perspective as well. Um, and then just all the questions about, you know, those questions about what is justified by the need to survive, you know, what is justified by the need to protect the people that are your people. What is actually, what is justice? You know, if, if an entire culture is doing something that's evil and wrong, like, is it actually just that they all died? You know, that, that they were all irradiated. Um, so, so the sort of like raising the questions of how far responsibility goes when you're complicit, I thought was really cool. So like on the thematic level, that was the one that really grabbed me. And I still think it's by far the best uh-huh. executed. Um, and then, but, but before that, like the thing that, that hooked me on the show is just like you guys said, like found family. I'm always, 
any any show that has any kind of like strong family or found family sort of vibes, you know, like I was a sucker for those kids on the ground having to come together and, you know, like be bonded through trial by fire and learning to love each other and be loyal to each other and all that sort of, like you said, like expanding and redefining family and community. Like that's, that's my jam. So that's, that's probably the biggest. And so the the delinquents are all still like nearest and dearest to my heart for that reason, I think. Um, okay. So Shannon's first question, this is a more season four focus question. Uh, where is the 4% of the world that is survivable that we were told about at the end of last season? And why did no one look into that? Shannon, do you have thoughts <laughs> you want to share to start out? <laughs> we can probably take well, the first and second questions together, too, and kind of talk about yeah, the, yeah, whole, yeah. the whole sort of 4% idea. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it really bothers me that we haven't gone back to this 4%, right? Because Allie's pretty specific when she says 96%. So that means that there's 4% somewhere in the world. And that's a huge surface area. Is it ocean? Is it land? We have no idea, right? But like 4% of the earth is like United States size, you know, two times the size of Europe. That's a huge amount of land if you could find it somewhere. And the real problem with where we're going in season four is, okay, if we find a way to survive the death wave, even if it's in the bunker, where's all your food and water going to come from? Right? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't understand. Like, like, even if you're still alive, you have to eat yeah. and drink after that. Right. Like, how is that going to happen if Ilian burned up what they did have stored in the Ark, which there's no way they could store five years in such a short amount of time with all of the animals and bugs and everything already leaving the forest. So it's just part of me thinks, like, why aren't we looking into this? Hasn't Raven looked at, you know, everything and maybe found that land? But it doesn't seem that that's where they're going. But it seems like a big hole to me. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. I remember when... um... Over the hiatus, like when everyone was sort of speculating on, you know, like wh- what's the what's the season four fix going to be? Um, and my friend Brittany and I um, were like, "This is this is real nerdy," but um, but I don't actually apologize. We um, we she found a map of like um, nuclear reactors in North America. And and there was a spot that we found that looked like it was in like northeastern Canada that seemed potentially like um, far enough away from like like if the if the four percent is determined by um, like it may not all be together it may be little bits of space that's like right. in between um, where you know between two nuclear reactors there's a space in the middle where the fallout didn't land. Um, but there seemed to be a chunk of northeastern Canada that was equidistant enough from some of them that seemed like it might potentially be in what the show would call Asgata territory. That we were like, what if everybody has to move to Ice Nation? And we got super excited. And then that, <laughs> and then it, uh, it never happened. Um, so, <laughs> so I, but I, but I do feel like I think it's possible. So we know from Jason, like we know from some of the interviews and stuff that basically, the season four finale tees up the season five premiere in a way where basically if they hadn't gotten renewed, that we would all be pissed how it ended. Like it ends mid story or the season finale ends mid story. It ends like um, on a cliffhanger in the middle of something like that's all we really know. Um, 
And and so what I wonder is if in some capacity, whether there's a time jump or not, if part of the arc of season five is looking it's like the sort of like looking for the promised land you know like that they figure out where it is and they have they have to cross the desert to get to it or sail across the water to get to it or they have to go into space and come down someplace else to get to it or i don't know but but some portion of the survivors um finding what that place is where they actually can like plant crops where there are animals that survive where there's some semblance of an ecosystem where there's some kind of drinkable water um and like that, the the end of the show will be settling there. That's that's just speculation, but that's my guess. I really, really want that place to be like a giant Tim Hortons somewhere in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> like, true promised land. The world's biggest Timmy. <laughs> and they just live off of like the five years worth of donut mix that's stored yeah. in the basement. Uh, or maybe it's like the Tim Hortons like like North Americans warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magically <laughs> positioned, like in um, like in Station Eleven, where you watch the people that are trapped in that municipal airport slowly like eat yeah. all the food from the airport restaurants. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like people just migrated there. It's just this happy community of former Canadians yeah. living in the Tim Hortons warehouse. So I guess we all now know that Aaron's version of heaven is just Tim Hortons. <laughs> Aaron is very Canadian at heart. <laughs> I have I have a hilarious story about um, a total failure at a Tim Hortons that had to do with the fact that both me and the Tim Hortons employee being too polite to be able to communicate with each other. Um, oh God, that's so Canadian. <laughs> Uh, oh, Kelly's, <laughs> Kelly says, I really want to know if animals and plants are going to be conserved in the polis bunker or if they're only saving humans because my hippie self disapproves of the disregard of nature and other species <laughs> in people's plants, which is a really fair point. And actually, mm-hmm. I mean, especially for if they're going to be surviving on Earth after the end of the apocalypse, they really, like, it's a bad idea to just be like, fuck all biodiversity as long yeah. as we have human lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all good. Like, they really do need to be thinking about not just animal lives, but also, like, animal species, but also plant species. Like, trying right. to conserve some kind of biodiversity. Um, well, they based the design for Becca's lab on that Icelandic seed vault, which made me wonder yeah. if that was an idea. Norwegian, Norwegian yeah. Um, which made me wonder if that was in any way going to come up as a plot point. Like, would Cadigan have thought of that? Is there Are there preserved yeah, seeds in the bunker or something like that? I don't know. Hmm. That's possible. Mm. That's possible. This is actually making me think there's another, there's another um, novel, sort of semi-post-apocalyptic. It's called... Um, Friend of the Earth by this guy named T.C. Boyle. And part of it takes place in the 80s, but the other half of it takes place after the collapse of the biosphere. So basically after climate change. Um, And like most of the world's uh, biodiversity is gone. And there's this weird kind of Michael Jackson characters. It's like this eccentric former pop star (laughs) who has this menagerie of like the last existing individual of all these species like he has the last known hyena and he has the last known like dolphin he has all these all these animals um but he also has he has a tiger and or no excuse me he has a lion that lives inside of his uh that lives outside and they have to bring it inside because of this giant storm 
And so there are all these people are like trapped inside of this bunker with a lion and it becomes a kind of a gruesome plot point. So now I'm just picturing everybody down in Cadigan's bunker. Like they open a door and there's a fucking like pride of lions in there. And they're just, you know. <laughs> and it's like, this got uh, bloody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just gave them ideas. They are breaking season five. Yeah, there you go, guys. That one's fine. Hi, Jason, Pana. you're welcome. You can bring back Pana. Open the door. Whoops. I just don't know how they're going to save Helios. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Helios. The right in the feels. Oh, my God. Helios, That's the real hello. unsung hero of season four. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Helios oh, with the magic tongue that cures both drowning and sound. <laughs> 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 and like 100 foot props <laughs> wait 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 I got um, it I got it what if they make Helios a nightblood horse <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely why can't there be nightblood animals there absolutely well, could surely. be nightblood I'm I'm Jason if you're listening there's still time you can ADR this into the finale I've solved all your problems <laughs> Wait, what is a horse's lifespan, though? Like, we want to make sure Helios makes it these five years. How old is Helios? I I have a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. That's all right. He's probably fine. He's probably fine. (laughs) He doesn't look like he's that old. When you started saying that, Claire, I did not expect, I wasn't thinking of Nightblood, so I really thought for, like, a wild second, I thought you were going to be like, you know what the solution to this would be? Make everyone a centaur. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why my brain went there? <laughs> listen, listen, like, Aaron, Aaron. I on Island of Doctor Moreau. <laughs> I know I have more extreme fanfic tastes than you, but I don't. I do not. To be clear, I don't ship Octavia and Helios. Let's <laughs> no, no. ship it like ship. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying that she has sex with a horse and then okay. has the horse's baby. Oh, wait, I'm so you were thinking like you chop- grafting like grafting a horse body <laughs> onto human body? Yeah, I was thinking like Octavia off the legs and then chop off Helios's head and then sew her onto the body. Wow. That's what I was thinking. You know what? Soren's gonna be really excited that we're finally talking about the island of Dr. Moreau. That is very true. <laughs> Shout out to Soren. Finally got around to it. Uh, anyway, well, that's gone to some places, so it's probably time to move on. <laughs> this got weird. I love it. This is the stuff that we added <laughs> out. Yeah, this is this is this why is leave it in. Yeah. Well, this kind of stuff winds up being out today. Yeah, this yeah. Is how we wind up with the like, you know, the the like, Bellamy. the. Uh, Dutch lady inside of a horse head. Yeah. Take <laughs> Classic. We actually veer off course way more often than you think. Um, okay, so Kelly's first question is, uh, a dis- she wanted to have a discussion about wanting to survive versus wanting to live as a theme in season four. Um, so if anybody has any thoughts about that, Kelly, you can, if you want to like type in some stuff. Um, I think I'm like really into that theme because I think it kind of, it does sort of raise the question of like, 
the difference between just being alive and having like a quality of life and what, what, you know, constitutes, it's, I mean, it sort of makes you think about like, what is valuable about your life, right. you know, like, what is it, what is it that, that makes you want to stay alive, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, like Jasper's kind of the Jasper storyline right now after the last episode is really bringing that stuff, um, kind of to the forefront. Cause you see, Jasper seems like to me, he's sort of decided for now that like to some extent that he's kind of focusing on a sort of hedonistic mm-hmm. way of, of thinking about the value of life. You know, he's like being alive. He's really thinking about like sensation, right, you know, right. like having kind of like pleasure, um, but not so much about maybe some of the sort of like bigger questions. But I think other, other characters think about that very differently, you know? Right. Um, yeah, although it's, I guess it's kind of an open question as to whether someone like Clark is really thinking about wanting to live, which is funny because she's the one who who told Lexa, you know, life is more about more than just surviving. But I don't know. Do you guys think that she still like, does Clark have a sense of what it means to live and not just survive anymore? I think she's so focused on making sure that they survive. She's kind of ignoring the living part of it. The, the what what drives you yeah that's what's driving her right now is just making sure they yeah. make it not when they do how are they going to live right it's also yeah. i think for a couple of the characters I, I think specifically like for for bellamy and clark and i would say also for like maybe for kane um i think there's a handful of them where all like it's very exterior focused it's like they're not thinking about their own lives as much as making sure that like everybody else like the maximum number of people possible and other people like making sure everyone else is okay and um and Jasper's very much thinking about Jasper you know and and in a um so I think that for people like Clark and Bellamy I don't necessarily think that they've had the what feels to them like the luxury of stopping to ask yourself, like, you know, like, are you enjoying this day you're having Bellamy? Like, he has some time for that, you know, like, um, it's a, it's a, it's totally like exterior focused on other people's lives and not necessarily thinking about their own so much. You know what a strangely, I had a strangely sort of sad thought the other day about this kind of, and it occurred to me, um, when was the last time that any of these people had a normal day or even had like had a life where a so like a, like a normal day or a day to day routine was even possible? You know, mm-hmm. I think it was like the time yeah. jump that we didn't see. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I was just thinking about because that's what makes it hard. You know, you like you have to if you think about living. You have to be able to sort of envision. Like a kind of some kind of just routine, some kind of day-to-day life that's going to make you happy. And none of them have had that for so long. And, and with the apocalypse coming, they don't even know what that looks like, you know? So, so I don't know. It's, it's sort of funny. I, like, I, I guess I for think, me, I see it a, from a different perspective, just because when I started the show, I was going through chemo. I had just been diagnosed with cancer. So I was literally living life to survive life. I had to get through this portion before yeah. I could figure out how to live my life. So I, I feel like I'm in that right, headspace right. like Bellamy and Clark and Kanar, where I just I'm I'm mm-hmm. very I'm pointed yeah. at we have to get to this point. 
once we're at this point, then we can figure out what we're going to do with life. But we have to get to point A first. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You, you just sort of have to go one step at a time. One problem at a time because you don't have much else beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, Kelly says uh, about her question, I think the real choice in se- season four is actually this, where their characters would rather sacrifice their humanity for the sake of surviving, or would they sacrifice their chance of surviving because their humanity is more important? In uh, episode 408, certain characters jeopardize their personal survival chances, Murphy, or the overall survival plan, Abby, um, for their human- because their humanity overwhelmed their survival instinct. Um, and you know, what's interesting there, Kelly, um, I think the the thing that interests me in that question is the ways that we're kind of using humanity as a term interchangeable for morality or some particular kind of morality. Um, and so the question becomes basically like, it's about a definition of humanity, you know, like this is humanity as having something to do with having some kind of moral content. Um, rather than simply species survival, uh, you know, so, so keeping the human race alive as in the human species versus keeping humanity alive as in some kind of non-biological thing having to do with right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's a really interesting, I think it's an interesting question. Um, and for the show, it seems to come down to, it's, it is a little bit, I think, kind of intertwined though because for the show morality right and wrong comes down to in a lot of cases whether and under what circumstances you're willing to um sacrifice or or risk you know the lives of of biological individuals you know so there is a kind of overlap between biological life and and morality but um yeah i don't know it's an interesting question I also wonder if there's a few characters that, at this point, if they're given the chance to slow down and have that normal day again, um, if they're too scared to face that. Like, I wonder if Clark, at this point, when she gets to that point where she's done fighting, where she doesn't have to be fighting every day, if we, if there comes a point in time that that happens, when she finally has to sit down and just let it all hit her. I, is she ready for, I don't know if that's something, I don't think she knows who she is outside of that anymore. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I don't know if I'm explaining and, and it well. That, no, no, it makes sense. And that goes back to, Kelly says, I don't think Clark could cope in peacetime. I don't think so either. And I think that does go back to that question about humanity versus survival yeah. in, in Kelly, your terms, because Clark is so focused on survival. I think that she's able to sort of push aside or, or not think about, or, you know, she makes the case to Ka- to, to, Cabby, <laughs> to Abby um, <laughs> that, um, you know, when, when Abby is hesitating in the last episode, um, she makes the case to her, like, none of us want to do this, but we have to. So Clark is really choosing survival over humanity in those terms. And so when, when survival is no longer a question and she's forced to think about humanity, like as in her sort of, what she's done and what it means for her, what it means for her sort of, uh, what it means about her that she made the choices that she did. Um, I think that, that she's really going to struggle with, I think Bellamy is too, and maybe is a little bit already, you know, so there are characters who, 
But it's interesting because it's not consistent, you know, because there are characters like Clark who would consider, and Abby who would consider what they've done or what they've considered doing as being a threat to their humanity. And there are other characters like Amori who I don't think would consider the choice that she's made, that she made to, you know, lie about Bayless. I don't think that she considers that to have eroded her humanity, you know? Yeah. She just has a different kind of basis for defining humanity, which I think is one really interesting thing about this show, that there isn't kind of one set, you know, there isn't one right answer to what makes you, what, what is, what morals are, what makes your sort of core moral humanity, what, what separates you from your basic biological survival. You know, there are different characters with different answers. And so, yeah. Well, and I think that Amori sort of accepted who she was as a person. You know, she's known who she is for, she's very self-aware. She's known that for a long time. Whereas Clark, I think um, a lot of Clark's struggle and her like morality struggle is there is that difference of who she wants to be, who she is. um, And you know, I, I think Amori a long time ago accepted that I will do anything to survive. I'm happy with that. That is fine. And yeah. she just, she's a lot more self-aware, I think. Yeah. Well, and there's also, the, I mean, there is, you know, the line, uh, who we are and who we need to be to survive are two different things. There is a kind right. of like, there is a kind of psychological paradox in that, that does kind of like create a bifurcation of identity, who you are supposedly at your core and what who you need to be to survive are two different things. And I think that's, that's a kind of attitude that, that makes it possible for, you know, Bellamy and Clark and characters like that to do what they feel they need to do. But it's ultimately kind of, I think, untenable. Like in peacetime, I think that's the time when those two categories you realize are not, maybe not actually separable. And, and Jasper kind of gets at that, I think, in the last episode when he says, you know, he's talking to Bellamy and he's like, you did the shitty things that you did, but what does it matter? Right. What do your reasons matter? It happened. It's in the past. Well, and I, and I um, think that that seems to be where the, the kind of the new twist in the Kane and Jaha arc is going, where like, is, is the, is what we see happening there with, with Kane and Jaha and with Kane and Indra, the fact that like, his skills were actually really best suited for being a leader in peacetime. Like he's the reverse of that, you know, and, and yeah. that other, um, other skills or, or a, a better ability to kind of compartmentalize these things. Like somebody like Indra does is the only way to lead people through these sort of extreme circumstances to survive them so that you can kind of come out the other side of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very, very deep. um that got heavy (laughs) no more grafting bodies on uh onto each other Um, (laughs) okay i like how quickly we can turn between that that's right yeah welcome to meditation that's right this is what we do um okay so turning to caitlin's second question um caitlin's second question is what would your ideal vision be for the end of the show However far into the future that may or may not be, what is your idea of the best ending? So, Caitlin, do you have an answer to your own question that you would like to share? Sure. I guess it's not that specific, but I would like to see, first of all, for there to still be an Earth to live on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But I would like to see some sort of, you know, political treaty happen between Asgata Tree Crew, but Sky Crew really um, not taking over. I don't want to see Clark as Hada. I don't 
really want to see anyone as Hada. I'd love to see this as like a democracy, sort of everyone is just um, coexisting and sort of the political atmosphere after that being a little more, a um, little less combative and more... I don't know. Maybe that's boring. Maybe that's my West Wing coming out. Like, I would just love to see <laughs> my West Wing Compromise. fan coming out. Yes. Um, but I would like to see just, you know, coexistence happening. And um, yeah, but I mean, that's a boring answer. And I'm genuinely more interested in hearing what everyone else wants to see, because I feel like there's so many different ways it can end and so many different ways people want it to end. And I've heard so many different ones. So what do you guys think? I guess... I just want to add on to that. I agree in that I want to see all of what Caitlin wants to see, but I also want sort of a hint that beyond the grounders, beyond the world that we've come to know, that there's more of a world out there. There had to be more people like in a Mount Weather-like shelter that were out there, that were not impacted by Cadigan or Becca, except indirectly. I want to see, you know, some of our favorite characters kind of go off and start to explore that world because there's a hint that there's something else out there. Yeah, absolutely. So like a, get a little glimpse into what's happening on the rest of the planet. Yeah, um, would be nice. Yeah, I guess for me, I cool. just kind of want to end it. I end it um, hope, like, there's hope for their future. There's hope for the Earth. There's mm. hope for humanity and survival. Yes. Just kind of end it on hope. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I had a um. So my my ideal ending for the show. This is so I wrote um. This is from a fanfic that I wrote. I give it a whole huge amount of thought. Um. So Jason, if you like this idea, you can have it for free. Um. But I. But so I really like. This is just like I. And I think I just wrote it because I was like, this is how I really like. This is, would feel to me like the most emotionally satisfying ending. Would be some like um like a flash forward to like it's so like we end with like you know maybe maybe they're they find the place that they're gonna settle or or we we sort of big you know they begin to establish some kind of like the true sort of building the new world that they like like you guys all said you know that there is peace that there is a world to settle on like even if things are hard right now that there is some sort of sense of hope but i love the idea of there being some kind of a like um you know, like a flash forward to like a hundred years later or something like that. And the realization, like, so that we end the show knowing that the thing that they built survived, you know, like they plant the Eden tree and it grows into some huge tree or like, you know, like kids telling stories about like Bellamy and Clark and Roan and Lexa, like they were these legendary figures and um, they have like agriculture and they, and it's the sort of totally mixed society of Grounder and Sky Crew and all those divisions are totally gone. And um, that they celebrate like new unity, like all, like all sort of a, a really concrete sense that all of the things that they went through to try to build this new future, um, that we, that we sort of leave them knowing that the thing that they built lasted, you know? Um, and, and I just feel like I get really emotional about that. Like, I feel like I, I want to know, I want to know that the thing that they did was not like, um, in vain, Yeah, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yes. I. Uh, Kelly says, oh, I like that ending. I like that ending too. I think it'd be really nice. It'd be nice to know that after all of the like insane changes that we've seen over the course of the show, that that there's some kind of new stability that emerges, some sort of new. Yeah, like even even thing. if it doesn't, if our characters don't get it, and it's for future generations, that we know that 
that that exists yeah. for somebody, you know. I like the idea of the tree mm-hmm. because I think like trees, they're a nice sort of similar, nice sort of <laughs> device, but also that you know, you plant a tree, a tree will outlive humans by generations and generations and generations. So yeah. it's a sort of like biological living being that can sort of connect many, many, many generations of people across time, you know? Exactly. Um, so I really like the idea of like a new a new Eden tree being planted and then sort of like that's the the kind of central thing that, yeah. that people keep returning to that sort of ties this um, – this group together. I also think that that having a tree or something like that is the symbol that kind of like around which everything gathers gathers is a nice contrast to where we started, which was, you know, the ark, um, you know, away from Earth. Um, there's that like among Clark's drawings, there's, you know, trees and things like yeah. that. And then also even polis, you know, the grounder, uh-huh. the sort of central grounder area, like their their central you know, like gathering point is an old skyscraper. Mm-hmm. It's the ruins of a city, you know? So I think having a, a new kind of society built around a tree um, is a sad, kind of like new organic start that I, yeah. that is a nice contrast yeah. to where like the sky people on the ground. Yeah, like a tree, from. a tree from the sky that's planted in the ground is like a really clean, simple, straightforward symbol of the fusing of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, for me, <laughs> I'm going to be like super predictable shipper here. Um, all I really want from the end is that I want Bellamy and Clark to be like partners. Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if they, like, I will be perfectly happy if if they never are romantically canon, as long as they're like together and co-leaders and partners and with each other at the end. That's all I want. That's all I want. Um, and I have, I, this is, this is not necessarily what I want per se, cause it's very sad, but this is like, this is the ending that sort of popped into my head that I kind of, that sort of like, I can't stop thinking about that I, that sort of haunts me a little bit. So, and it was because, um, there was that fortuitous rainbow in the background of the, the ravine confrontation between Ice Nation and Clark this season. Um, and it got me to thinking about, you know, like Old Testament promised right, land right, stories, right. right? So so in, I don't know why I jumped from Noah to Moses, but it got me to thinking about, you know, the, the Israelites wandering in the mm-hmm. desert for 40 years after they escaped from Egypt trying to find the promised land. And they finally get there. And because of what he did to get them there, Moses can't enter the promised right. land. That's his punishment mm-hmm. from God. He has, you know, he led his people through the desert, but because he, because he basically struck out in anger during that time, but because of what he did to get them there, um, he's not allowed to enter. So he, he just has to like stand on this hill and watch them go into the promised land and know that they're going to be happy and know that they're going to be okay. And after I thought of that, I could not stop thinking about Clark and Bellamy getting their people to a safe place and standing at the you know the outside and and not being able to go inside because of what they've done but being together in that you know like they're united so like everyone's inside and they're building a life and they're outside and they're looking in and they just like hold hands and turn away and that's the end. <laughs> that's horrible that's, that's the ending that take I can't take it see. back i know i'm sorry i'm sorry i can't so now you can suffer too with me <laughs> uh, no but it makes so much sense because it's this like i uh, I'm mad at you. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it too because it, it right it because fits, it's so it, plausible. It fits perfectly. Yeah, Kelly says 
Clark Clark did that at the end of season two. I know she did yeah, that at the end yeah. of season two, so it would be a callback too, which they right. like. But it would be different because she wouldn't be alone and they'd be they'd be choosing it. <laughs> like I don't this again, this is not what I want. This is just the thing that I thought of and can't stop. I know. About. I this know. is what I torture myself with at night. And now I'm I sure wish you could see my face. Aaron is Hey, how many times has Jason said that? No. Yeah, I know. <laughs> how many times has Jason said that this is a yeah, tragedy? I know. That's the other thing I can't. Th- I keep thinking about. Yeah. Oh God. If we have to have a tragic ending, and I want Bellamy and Clark to be together, this is the tragic yeah. ending that I want to have. Well, it's a little bit like the, um, the Battlestar Galactica finale has sort of shades of that where you have, like, you have this this implication, like, it sets up the groundwork for, like, humanity is going to survive, like, these societies have sort of merged and are now coexisting, the future is possible, you know, peace is possible, um and but then like the characters that you're really attached to don't all make it there you know and it's so so it has that sort of macro happy ending in that you're like the these people are by and large they're going to be okay um but it but then you're also weeping and sobbing because you're just like no you were so close we were all almost okay and then people started to die it's terrible um but i but i do (laughs) but it is narratively like it it does fit. That fits very nicely. It fits with the show, yeah. and it fits with Bellamy and Clark's characters, yeah. and it fits with the kind of sense. It fits with all those questions about like sacrificing humanity versus survival, and what you do for your people, right. and et cetera, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is why I feel like it's a very plausible ending and you know and it's a callback to a thing that happened with a difference they love a callback with a difference Mm -hmm. so this is this is not necessarily the the ending that i want but i feel like it's the it's the ending that i've thought of that feels most likely to me Mm. um i'm nothing if not a pessimist (laughs) when this ends up happening i'm gonna like be watching it i'm gonna like be sobbing i'm gonna be like screaming like damn you erin like why The whole series finale meditation is just going to be me being like, this is your fault. You did this to us. You put this idea in Jason's head. You know he listens to this podcast. I blame you. Wrench him over. It could have been different. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> if you have to pick, go with Claire's yes. idea. You can have mine for free. I won't even bill you for it. <laughs> I demand to be paid. So there you go. If you use mine, you have to there pay you go. me. If you use Claire's, yes. you don't have to pay her. So now you have really, yeah. to go with it. Or, or alternately, the other thing that they could do is do the Wayne's World thing where they have multiple endings. So you do the tragic ending and then you do the super happy ending. Oh, yeah. And then you do the Scooby-Doo ending. Yeah. I, I choose the Shakespearean ending where everyone gets married. That's a good one. Yeah. I would like yeah. a Scooby-Doo ending where they like... They, they wear, I don't know, like Indra takes off her mask and it turns out that she's the old, the owner of the old uh, amusement park. <laughs> and she's in behind and everything. And she would have gone away with it too if it weren't for those pesky kids. Exactly. Rotten kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Shannon's second question. How is it possible that Becca's Island survived Prime Fire? Is that part of the 4%? Is there something that makes it able to withstand the onslaught of radiation? Even if Nightblood works, 
There will be nothing to eat or drink, so we've already talked about that a little bit. But um, yeah, so so Becca's Island seems pretty pristine. Um, so yeah, this is <laughs> I have questions about it. that glass. This is making me crazy, and I don't know if it's ever going to be addressed. Like, I'm waiting for somebody to suggest out loud, why don't we all move into Becca's 10-story lab and, like, set up humanity there? And and I, like, because it, since it clearly survived it, it must be radiation-proof because she can't possibly have built that after she landed. Like, that has to have been an existing Polaris, like, building um, and her existing house. So, I it to me, it's, like, a big major if they never address it it'll be like a giant plot hole um but i'm just waiting for somebody to suggest like why can't they just like move everybody into the like the house and the murphy bunker and the lab on her island because they must have been able to survive the first one so i yeah i'm waiting i'm still waiting for an answer on that but it it i guess continues to make me crazy Oh, you can go. So I started looking into... Oh, I'm sorry. I started looking into, like, a different series. Because, like I said, I like the genre of post-apocalyptic. And there's a book series, the John Matherson series, where the whole premise of the series is, you know, the United States is basically put out of commission by um, EMPs, the electromagnetic pulses, that if you detonate nuclear weapons at a higher altitude that that could happen. So it would, in the premise of the EMP, when all these nuclear bombs were flying all over Earth because Allie sent them, how is it possible that Becca's Island stayed fully functional? Not just totally pristine, but all that technology stayed fully functional because there had to be massive EMPs that would have knocked that completely useless unless that she had some sort of defense around the island to not only keep emps out but radiation so there has to be something like i'm just waiting for like this big massive dome to be revealed and that everything in the (laughs) dome around it is you know total everybody can live in the dome basically and then it'd be a whole different show I guess but my it just, biosphere. Right. <laughs> I guess my thinking was but in it just the doesn't seem... of Allie. Allie launched the missiles. She could have targeted them so that the fallout and the EMPs and the radiation avoided that area. Because she, if she controlled all the nuclear missiles, she could have avoided her area. That's true. She could have she could have done some sort of very complex math calculations to figure out a way to detonate them so that that area that the area where she was I mean that would make sense right because Allie didn't want to kill herself so she would have to figure out a way to keep her the the computer where she exists and why she wanted to move them um, to space so much from is being she knocked can't out. control this prime fire she can't control worldwide nuclear radiation. Oh, that is a very good point. So she actually had to get onto that computer in space in order to keep existing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because this is because this is a meltdown that she that she could not stop. Like this is she didn't actually cause this one. Like she she exacerbated it, but she didn't cause this one to happen. This is like the reactor is melting down because like (laughs) their warranties expired. Um. 
But uh, yeah, so that actually makes a lot of sense that the first one was missiles and she very carefully calibrated that around her. And the second one is something that she can't actually... Pre- okay, yeah, I buy this. Told me. <laughs> this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Solved. Nailed it. <laughs> I would like it to have been textual, um, but I think that you are correct. Yeah, I think if it ever becomes textual, that will probably be what they say was the thing that happened. Um, okay, so Callie's second question is... Uh, she would like to have a discussion on how the show depicts mental illness and depression with particular reference to the upcoming episode DNR. Um, and we talked about this, Claire, I think a little bit in the podcast, the 408 podcast yeah. that will come out later today, I think. Um, but yes, this is a, this is an area of ongoing concern for us, particularly with Jasper, because, they had been, they had done for a while, and in a lot of ways, a really, really good job with Jasper's PTSD and sort of depression storyline. And we're becoming increasingly concerned as the season goes on, and we're not really like he's not really he doesn't really have a storyline about that. It's not really developing, or or I don't know, just have concerns about the ways that it's developing. It's developing, and the sort of meta message that might be conveyed by Jasper's sort of nihilistic response to the yeah. coming end of so the So I, yeah, my thoughts on this are complicated. Like, I think on a, on a purely sort of baseline level, there is no version of a storyline, like, like starting from where we're at now with everything that we had, that has sort of, that they built up last season with Jasper, um, there, there just straight up is no configuration of a storyline that ends with Jasper dying prematurely that won't make me uncomfortable to some degree. That doesn't feel like in some way it is um, validating or not validating, but um, showing that it is not possible for a character to overcome the things that Jasper has overcome and survive. So, so like my best case scenario, like what I would always hope would be, that the arc of where he's going is that he that he gets to survive and you know and keep living. It's looking less and less like that's possible. So so just flat out like any killing off of Jasper, I feel like I'm gonna have just purely on that level. I I I don't like. I think I'm beginning to get a sense, and we talked about this last time with the like um the the sh- the conversation that he had with Bellamy did shift things for me. Somewhat, only because I feel like um, I think Jasper seeing the like there's a possibility of an interesting exploration of the question of like when you when you're on like the sort of the borrow time idea, I guess, like when you when you're on the clock, when you have a terminal diagnosis of some kind um and you know that, and you cannot escape from that. The question of what does your quality of life look like and what do you do with the time that you have left does not have to be inherently nihilistic. I think for Jasper right now it is. Um, and the fact that he's trying to sort of like lure other people into his like, yeah, fuck it, let's just like get drunk and then like let Prime buy a ticket. It, I, is, that makes me uncomfortable. But I do think that there is something... You know, like I, I, um, 
I was when my when my mom was was diagnosed with ALS, which is a disease where you have like five years max. It's like like between six months and three years is is like that's it. Like that's that's all you get. Um, and so you so there are a lot of like so it's kind of so once you kind of know that you're like there's nothing there's nothing that you can do. Um, so the question of like what do you do with that time and 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 embracing the fact that like that you can still live like that that time was worth it you know that that good things happened um that relationships still matter um i think there's a way to to find a life affirming story in that i don't know that that's where they're going it isn't where they're at right now and they're kind of running out of time to build that arc um but to me the the least like given the framework that i'm never going to be okay with jasper dying cuz i feel really uneasy that they don't maybe quite understand the message that that is sending. Um, but given that, I feel like there, there's a way to mitigate that somewhat by letting Jasper um, put relationships back at the forefront, by letting him, um, if he goes out in a way that is self-sacrificial so other people can live instead of going out in a way that's luring other people in to die with him, like that could be a flip that could... So I think there's there's ways to make it less shitty given but 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 i'm never gonna i'm never gonna feel great about jasper getting killed off as a character like they're just never gonna be cool i guess for me um no matter how jasper goes out he (laughs) he's always made that decision he's decided himself he's going to die and i guess in the realm of mental health and depression that it's always really touchy that he's made that decision. He's he's already decided it. It's just right now how it's going to happen. So like you said, I do hope it's in the service of one of his relationships, either Monty or Harper or Bellamy. He chooses to sacrifice himself for them because he knows he wants them to survive and he needs them to survive even if he doesn't. And I yeah. take sort of, I agree. I take like a broader look. Like we're focusing on Jasper and how they've depicted handling depression. I think they've done a really nice job up until recently at, you know, the struggles that someone has with depression. But what they haven't done a great job with is how the people around mm-hmm. Jasper have handled his depression. That's true, yeah. And I think, you know, in today's society, mental health, mental illness, it's so taboo in the way that we approach it and talk about it. And, you know, the show has shown so much growth in, you know, humanity in relation to sexuality and gender on the show, but they seem stuck backwards as far as mental health. No one was really stepping in to do what Jasper, I think, really needed. Do we not believe in antidepressants like 300 years from now, however long this is? I mean, there were, I mean, we have all sorts of other drugs, drugs to treat radiation, but nobody really stepped in to talk about counseling and things that need to be done. So I think they've missed an opportunity since they've spent so much time developing this story centered around Jasper and his depression and his struggles. 
Well, and, and in some ways, in some ways, even worse than that, and Kelly just put in, she, um, part of the reason she asked this question is her, her concern with the sort of party mutiny in the next episode is, she says, I don't want to see suicidal teenagers being vilified or treated as traitors to the cause, which I think is a, is a real concern. And it, and it touches on what, um, what you just said, Shannon, because I think there is a little bit of that potentially in the way that Jasper has been portrayed as pushing away people's attempts to help and so and 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 so which kind of suggests that theoretically i mean i guess in one from one perspective suggests that you know it's it's sort of because he's so unpleasant because he's so difficult he's pushing people away that's why he's not getting treatment you know so there is a little edge of that kind of like vilification and I think you see that in in the way that a lot of people respond to Jasper and especially responded to him last season and this season um and it's been a little bit like that part has been a little inconsistent you know because there's sometimes that when it's been handled much better just in terms of like Monty sticking with him um despite him being you know it being difficult um and Octavia had that lovely little one little scene with him in 303 I think in Mount Weather with Octavia um, which I wish we had more of, but but yeah, I think there's a real concern in terms of how to depict, um, you know, a sort of a coping mechanism that is perhaps dysfunctional or that or that's not or or that's that could potentially harm you know Jasper and these other kids further in a way that's understandable rather than in a way that depicts it as being bad or wrong or unpleasant or obnoxious or whatever you know um and uh Kelly also just pointed out um another poster on Tumblr pointed out that most of the party people are a young maybe members of the 100 and b were people who are not on Clark's list if this is the case, these are people who have already been treated as expendable. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think maybe, uh, you know, a good point about that is that one factor is emphasizing that there are, you know, that there are reasons that their response to their situation is not irrational. Right, right. You know, like this yeah. is actually a completely rational, in many ways, a completely rational response to the the situation that they're mm-hmm. in. It's not a response that's like that is that is prioritizing fighting to stay alive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like yeah, it, crazy, it isn't it isn't know? constructive, um, but it's also mm-hmm. totally like human and relatable. Absolutely, yeah, um, and it just in the, the same as in the way that like when you know when you're suicidal, when you have suicidal thoughts. I mean, I'm and I'm just speaking from my own experience, but like. A lot of the times suicidal ideation just comes down to like, I just want this to stop, you know, like I just want, I just want there to be a point where, where I don't have to face the difficulty of living anymore, you know? And so, and so, you know, I think for Jasper, this, the coming apocalypse, this is why he sort of responds to it the way he does maybe because because it, it lifts the burden, the, the pressure, the pain, the difficulty of living, you know, which is what you're really trying to escape. And I think it's totally understandable that for these other kids, you know, and if, if they are the hundred, so many of them have also have had very, very, very difficult lives. You know, a lot of them probably are, are just as traumatized as Jasper, you know, so I, I would hope that they would 
they always talk about perspective, right? So you have to understand perspective, perspective, grounder perspective, sky people perspective. I would hope that they would center the perspectives of the people who don't want to be saved too. You know, like to, to give as much credit and honor to that perspective as to the perspective of Clark and, you know, the others who are fighting for life. Just to kind of understand, like, these are all human ways to respond to this, um, to this situation. And, um, yeah. So I don't know. It's tricky. But yeah, I, I share your concerns, Claire. And I just hope that, I think, I think Jasper choosing, I think Jasper choosing to go down with a fight is maybe the thing that right. that might be most important yeah like know? i i guess um, i guess where i feel like where 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 the storyline began to um make me uncomfortable like when when we learned when we learned that the original planned ending was that he was going to kill himself in the finale i felt like that was such a betrayal of that really beautiful moment that we got in is it 309 or 310 where we see him save Raven, you know, and, and that, yeah. and what I loved about that was it was like, you know, this link between Jasper and Raven as these, the two people that we're closest to for whom their pain and suffering has been the biggest roadblock in their being able to move on. And so it was like this sort of beautiful heroic moment of like this connection that allows him to be the hero. It isn't like, in spite of the things that happened to him, it isn't in spite of his mental illness or in spite of his depression. It's because he knows, like, because he can completely understand and relate to where she's been and why she made that choice, um, that it, like, you know, that it sort of hooks him into trying to pull her out of, you know, like, because he almost takes a chip, too, and then he sees what happens to her, and he decides at the last minute that he doesn't want to, and he realizes that she's forgotten Finn. Um, so I just, I love that it, that it didn't, um, it didn't erase or minimize or, or sort of falsely, I guess, sort of sentimentalize, you know, like, good for you, little champ, overcoming obstacles. It was sort of like the real authentic sort of three-dimensional portrait of who he is that includes this huge factor allowed him to connect with Raven in this particular way and kind of put him back on like the hero track. Um, and I, so I just, I'm, I'm disappointed by anything that feels like sort of an about face of, of that, but also like that's, but, but we don't know. We don't know where it's going to end up. So. Yeah. Yeah, and well, I mean, that was why when he took the chip, like yeah, off screen, off screen without it ever out of being nowhere explained. In three, in three. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was. That felt like a real betrayal of what they had set up. Yeah, so I was cranky. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, um, I don't know. Kelly is typing something, so I'm sort of waiting for that. Um, yeah, but I don't know if I'm ever gonna feel. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that is going to be able to make me feel really great about Jasper's arc this season at this stage. We'll see, but yeah. Um, Kelly says, my feeling is that Jasper is a natural fighter. Jasper, unlike Clark, would be at his best in peacetime, but Jasper does care about his friends, so I do think even his apocalyptic party is something he's doing for his friends. So if his death is based around his f- friendships, I think that would be the best option. I would agree with that. And I also agree with you. I mean, I agree that, that if his death is based around his friends, I, I that's the best option. I also agree that, you know, he's doing the, the he, he's recruiting people to his party plan, whatever, because he genuinely does think that that is the best 
Oh, sorry, not a natural fighter. She says, um, I, "I agree that he that he really genuinely thinks that he that that's the best thing to do. You know, he genuinely thinks like like get as much pleasure out of life as you can while you're alive. You know, um, so I think it's coming from, um, you know, he's trying. It's coming from a, a benevolent place or from a sort of like a, a place of caring in his heart. I do think that that's true. But yeah, it's I don't know." I don't know. I don't know how to feel. Um, so, um, Should we move on to the other listener questions? Yes. Yes. Let's do that. Okay. Um, so what were some of the other listening questions that we wanted to talk about? Oh, this is one we definitely wanted to hit. So this is from Casey, who is at Young Murphy on um, Twitter. And she asked... How have you changed personally since starting this show? That's a big one. <laughs> it is a big one. Yeah, I literally have no idea how to answer that. <laughs> I I personally, um, this show is what really got me into the world of fandom and, you know, deeper into Twitter. It's, it's the show that prompted me to really want to start writing about TV. I was a... I was a reporter already and, you know, all through college and even high school. That, that's what I started with at my high school paper was like writing about music and writing about movies and TV. But um, as I got into college and as I graduated, I thought, you know, maybe I'd be a political reporter, which I should have realized just came from me loving the West Wing. So maybe I should have been in the West Wing fandom. <laughs> um, but at some point it dawned on me that, no, I just really love TV. And I think this show is what prompted me into that and there's just something different about it i don't know what the one thing is that just got me into this um, whole online community and from there on my life looks so different than it did two years ago when i started watching this and you know i've made this group of friends um i've you know read all these articles that have made me so much more both self-aware and just aware in general, woke, as the kids would say. No, <laughs> um, no and just seeing all these different perspectives and, um, for example, everything that happened with Lexa, I, I didn't know that whole history that deeply and I would have never, that's not a good thing that came out of it, but just things like that and people writing about their connections with Raven and disabilities and, and things like that. I, I feel like this is really just, this show was that little catalyst that prompted me to you just open my mind a little more and, and make these friends and listen to all these different perspectives and see how much TV means to people. And I think overall, it's just this really cool thing and it connects people on so many different levels. And maybe that's what it is about this show. I think there's so many different characters, so many different layers, and just meeting all those different people that have those connections has been like very life-changing for me. And And at a very basic level, I made a lot of friends because of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way too. I I think it's um cuz like for me this was my I mean I I've, it's it's sort of impossible I think for me to overstate the amount to which this show and has has sort of caused all kinds of sort of changes in my life partly because like for me like this I like you this was my first experience in anything in any part of internet fandom um i like i was always like it was always a nerdy kid i was always into sci-fi you know but i like i'm 35 like i grew up um 
before like easily accessible online communities for this existed the ones that did exist were you know like lots of gatekeepers and very male dominated and not like easily accessible you know if you were just a regular person like before the sort of internet was really ubiquitous so I was kind of used to like liking the things that I liked kind of like privately alone on my couch with my sister um and then like and then sort of taking a lot of shit for them like out in the world because it wasn't cool to like those things and so just sort of on a on a baseline level the the idea of having a space where um where everybody sort of you know everyone can really dive deeply into sort of flailing about these things with no judgment like just sort of having that facet of myself like legitimized was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think like, you know, like for you, like I've made these like incredible, incredible friendships, you know, through this fandom, but it's also really changed. Like, like they're different kinds of friendships. I, like it, it's changed sort of what I, what I want to get out of relationships. Like it's this community of like amazing, like feminist women who are incredibly thoughtful about the media that they consume and, um, and the way that people talk about like, um, like their sexuality, their politics, their media consumption, like, like, it's just like, it sort of threw me into the middle of this community of people where it was like, oh my God, this is like, this is a community of like badass feminist women that I've been looking for my entire life. And here they are on Tumblr through this television show. You know, it's been, yes, yes. Like a hundred times. Yes. (laughs) I guess for me, um, (laughs) Because of how I started the show, where I was at in my life, um, I Shannon just started my 30s, and then I was diagnosed with cancer. Both of these kind of things combined, starting the show and going through cancer, I become more authentic in my own life. Like how Claire says, you were you were private a private fan. Now, I'm not ashamed that I'm a fangirl about things. I'm authentic online. I'm authentic in my real life. I am who I am. If you don't Mm -hmm. like it, tough for you. I'm not going to hide who I am anymore. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to... I'm going to be my sexuality. I'm going to be my gender and be proud of both. And having these amazing fans... Having these amazing friends in the fandom to support that. Fuck yeah. And when I do struggle with being authentic, (laughs) they're there to support me. Always. I have nothing so deep and great to add to all of that. well, it sucks going last sometimes. Um, I kind of feel the same way that Claire and Danielle feel in the sense that I've always had things that I liked, and they've always been nerdy, right? From Harry Potter down to the Hunger Games and, you know, the fact that I read fan fiction and that my husband loves to make fun of me endlessly, but he accepts it, which, thank God, you know, that... I had that kind of acceptance, but it was always very private, very hush-hush, you know. I could discuss it with my sister, but this is the first time I ever even thought about getting a Twitter account. It's all because of this show. Like, I wanted to get on Twitter, see what other people were saying, you know, follow along with the show, and certainly being on this podcast was a huge stretch for me. So I I feel a a growth in that way, so... I'm there. I'm along in the same path, just not as far as long as you guys. (laughs) (laughs) well it's funny because i i actually i was in online fandom when i was in high school in the late 90s 
did exist. It was harder to find. Um, and uh, a little bit for the X Files, but like hilariously, mostly it was for um, the monkeys. I was very, very into. I was very into '60s bands. First it was the Beatles, um, but then when I, when we, my best friend and I got into the monkeys, I found online fandom. And I don't even remember how. I think actually I was like, I was gonna say Googling, but Google didn't exist because um, this was like 1997. So I don't know. I was AOL keywording <laughs> to see what I could find on them. And I think I found like a GeoCities <laughs> web ring. And then, um, and then I found like fanfic. And then, so this was back in the day when I think there was, there was live journal a little bit. So I had a live journal, I think, but even live journal fandom, it was around, but, but for the monkeys, it was still, um, uh, email listservs, like Yahoo mm-hmm. email listservs were like the main place that happened. So I was active in those. I was active in that fandom for like most of high, my high school years. I was there. Um, and then I kind of like, uh, I, I was, it sort of faded away in college. I didn't have time. I moved on to other things. And then, um, and then I didn't come back until I was in grad school. And I actually got into um, BBC Robin Hood, which is why, which is why my handle is Rebloggingood. If you, in case you're wondering, it's the portmanteau <laughs> of reblogging and Robin Hood. Because my husband was making fun of me because I had found Tumblr fandom, and he's like, "All you ever do is reblog gifts of Robin Hood. You should just rename yourself Rebloggingood." And I was like, "That's a great <laughs> idea." So I did. Um, <laughs> so I came back to I came back to fandom before the hundred, and I actually found the hundred through like fandom other fandom friends it's like one of those things like it's like a fandom that i picked up through you know sort of being like okay people are watching the show i should check it out um so it wasn't you know so for me you know i I, this isn't my first fandom (laughs) this is my first rodeo um but but (laughs) but um i think like the way that it's different i mean i guess for me maybe the biggest thing the biggest thing with that has been this doing this podcast. Yeah. Like I've never, you know, I was never like a big content creator in fandom before. Like I don't, I don't write fanfic. I did when I was in high school, but I haven't really since then. Um, you know, and I write, I'll write meta sometimes and stuff like that. I was doing like a little bit here and there, but it wasn't really like, I didn't really do that much. Um, and, um, or, or that like systematically or whatever. And so we started the, so it was like, it was two things. First of all, this was the, this was the fandom where I started to sort of like coming out a little bit, you know, so to speak as a, mm-hmm. as a fangirl person, because Claire has, Claire has never heard any of this stuff or she hadn't before um, until I, t- I talked to her just to watching the hundred. She didn't know how to mm-hmm. tumble or anything like that. And, um, and I remember when you were watching season two, you were like getting close to the end and I texted you and I was like, when you're done watching, I will show you my Tumblr. And she was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You have a Tumblr. And I was like, yeah. She's like, is it just Bellamy? <laughs> Bellamy gift? And I was like. And she was like, there's not some just, other stuff. There are a lot. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. So this is all totally new to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so this is the first time that I'd, like, brought someone from my, like, quote, unquote, real life, whatever, into, and, like, kind of let let anyone other than my husband sort of see, like, this this side of me so that was really really huge and like Claire and I have talked about how 
you know, it was just like huge. We've been best friends for, for 15 years at that point, And yet somehow we're just like, oh my God, there's this like whole part of ourselves that we've been hiding from each other. Why have we been doing this? Like, of course, obviously we're, we're like fan yeah, yeah. exactly the same way. So that was really, <laughs> <laughs> that was really huge. And then starting to do the podcast, I mean, I have a very different relationship with this show and this sort of fandom because of that, because, you know, because like I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm contributing a lot more. I never really contributed that much. And, and I don't know, like, I mean, like podcasting has really changed the way that I think about the show in a lot of ways. Cause I'm always thinking about, you know, I think about it like more holistically, you know, like I watch it more as like a full show. I like focus less on like my favorite characters, you know, like I, I, I pay way more attention than I think I did before to kind of like everything that's happening and like the big themes and the big questions and, you know, like how everything is coming together. And so, so that's been really, really awesome. In addition to the fact that just like, you know, I've gotten to know like so many more really cool people and I've had like so many really awesome conversations. Like there are so many smart people who like watch the show and Mm want to talk about it, you know, and like, and so many different perspectives and like, and it's kind of helped me. I think doing the podcast has really helped me get out of having just being just in like a little echo chamber, you know, like, like me and my 12 friends, you know, just talking to each other about the things that we agree about, you know, it's kind of like opened up, broadened my horizon and and made me think more broadly. And that's been really great. So yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like a more well-rounded <laughs> fan in person. And, and getting to see we're like in competition um, with the writers too has been kind of a mind blowing component. Yeah. Also. Yeah. 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 No, it's super weird. Especially because like, so, you know, I'm an English professor and I work on the, like the authors that I work on have been dead for between 300, (laughs) 200 and 300 years for the most part. So I just like, it's super weird for me to be like talking about something. Jason, what did you mean? Right. Like can actually like know what I'm saying about them and respond to it. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I like it better when you're dead. You can't talk back. <laughs> um, so that's super awkward, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I mean, I, on a more personal level too, I think, you know, the first characters that I really sort of connected to really deeply on a person personally, um, were the Blake siblings because, you know, I have a big brother and, and, you know, we kind of had a dysfunctional home life when we were growing up. And, and so there's like a lot of aspects of the Blake sibling relationship that are really important to me. And, and so like watching that relationship evolve and watching, you know, each of them kind of like try to cope with figuring out how to relate to each other as they each change and, um, and, 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 you know, the bad and painful aspects of it, as well as the kind of more heartwarming pain, uh, aspects of it. I think it sort of forced me to, you know, reflect on myself and my relationships and my family and, and that stuff in ways that I might not otherwise have. And like more than I might otherwise have, you know, it kind of like forced me to think about stuff that I otherwise might've avoided more. And so that's been really good, I think. Um, Yeah. And Kelly says, for me, the hundred mostly made me nostalgic for my days in the Lost and then Battlestar Galactica <laughs> fandom, which I can see. Although I have not watched, watched either Lost or Battlestar Galactica, which I realize is like... I'm with you. You're well, not alone. <laughs> I'm going to get there. A lot yeah. of those fandoms migrated over to this fandom, too, because the show draws so heavily on, on that kind of mythology. So, like, there's... They definitely are yeah. here. Yes, yes, for sure. They're here. Um, I'm going to watch Lost this summer. 
I'm, I have, I've committed to going on the aficionados <laughs> to talk yeah. about one episode from season one. So I have to watch season one this summer. So that will happen. Um, and Battlestar Galactica someday. But um, I just, I wish I had more time for TV. <laughs> yeah, this one show uh, takes up a lot of our TV time. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, like when the show is airing, like I, I don't have time yeah, to watch yeah. any other TV this shows. podcast is our part-time like, job. Trying to, yeah. It basically, yeah. <laughs> like, literally, it actually is a part-time job. Um, okay, so um, any other questions? I have about 15 minutes before I have to uh, stop. So um, any other of the, the fan questions that you guys wanted to Let's do a quickie, because these ones we can we can do, I think, sort of, like, toss out some short answers. Um, let's do the um, songs on the playlist question. Um, and then okay. maybe let's also do um, the if the if you were a grounder, what would your clan be like? And we can just sort of do like short answer ones for those. Okay, cool. So the first one is um, Nicole, who is at Nicole Anel on Twitter, asks, "What songs are on your the hundred playlist? Because we all have playlists for our shows and characters <laughs> and ships." <laughs> Um, I personally um, have listened to a lot of Rage Against the Machine, like in relation to into some Bellamy oh, feels, yes. like how I could just kill a man, like really. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's a that's a song that was on it for a while. So just to throw that one out there. <laughs> yep, yep. I, 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 yeah, I do too. So, um, uh, Bulls on Parade is like a big Bellamy mm-hmm. song for me, um, because. Uh, because the chorus goes rally around the family pot full of shells, <laughs> which is just like so Bellamy. And then, <laughs> um, and then also, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the title. There's another one that was my like season three Bellamy anthem, um, which I can't believe I'm blanking on the title. Cause it's, like, oh yeah. Most- oh, oh yeah. Killing yeah. in the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rage Against the Street, Killing in the Name is like the, the perfect. And Bellamy I also was listening to a lot of, um, not a lot. Of, like, I just was listening to it on loop, I guess. <laughs> um, Heavy is the Head by Zach Brown Band, yeah. which I'm not even a country person, but that yeah. I like Chris Cornell. And um, it was very fitting for Clark, like, especially <laughs> between the season two and uh, season three starting hiatus. Like, that was, I thought that was a good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my yeah, um my sort of overarching season four theme song is Storm Coming by the Waylon Jennies. Um and then I also have I have an eight tracks. So I have a bunch of like I mean it's obviously it's a lot of cabbie playlists, but I have um I have an extensive library of, of Marcus Kane songs, but one of my favorites, which is sort of a like Kane <laughs> Kane and Bellamy ish song, um is called Crooked Soul by a um a roots musician named Icondolo and it's um it's sort of about like um like wandering far from the land of your ancestors and like um the sort of you know cost on your soul of all the terrible things that you've done and are you savable and it's sort of very like dark and bluesy and jazzy and kind of like like not overtly religious but has that kind of like sin redemption you know am i savable kind of thing to it and so that's on all of my marcus kane playlists <laughs> um and then just because i like to make myself cry i um i made a cavi playlist on my eight tracks 
um, that's sort of like Jake and Abby, Kane and Abby. So it's all like covers of iconic love songs that like reinvent the song in some way. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I guess, it's called it's called second time around. I and I listen I'm a to it when different. I want to cry. I don't cry. actually have like the hundred pay- playlists. Wow, I use playlists when I'm writing, and right now I'm writing like a modern AU, so I'm kind of dealing with like the song "I Love You, I Hate You," and like "Small Bump," uh, "Small Bump" by Ed Sheeran, which tells you which kind of story I'm kind of writing. Basically, I cry a lot, <laughs> but I don't really have songs that are like the hundred for me. <laughs> yeah shannon well i'm kind of with danielle i don't really have a playlist but whenever i hear um taylor swift's this love it reminds me of like clark and bellamy like Mm. the love is good this love is bad it's left a permanent mark those kind of things (laughs) just because i shipped the two of them and invent things in my head and read fanfic. So, <laughs> I um well, when I want to make myself cry, I listen to the sad cat songs and and think about Bellamy. Um, <laughs> but particularly, so uh, the first sad cat song, which I which is the the Blake sibling song, is called "Virtue." The cat explains her departure. Um, by the weaker thans, and that's my like ultimate Blake sibling song because it sort of ends with this. This line, it's told from the perspective of the cat, and it's about this cat that runs away, and it, and it ends with this line, I can't remember the sound that you found for me, which always makes me think of the fact that Bellamy named Octavia, oh. um, and that she's kind of like, she she can't remember, she can't remember the sound that he found for her, she can't remember who she is, she can't remember, you know, what what bound her to him, and so forth. Um, and um, I actually think my, I think my ultimate... 100 song right now is oh Bobo yeah Bobo, which you might know better as yeah because especially the second the second um verse begins with the exodus exodus is here the happy ones are near you know so it's about like let's let's get together before we met, get much older so it's kind of about this like everything's collapsing you know like everything's falling down around us all we can do and the first the first um uh verse is about you know um is about like I don't have to justify what I did. Yeah, you know, I don't need forgiveness, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's really just about like the world is collapsing around us. What's happened happened. We're gonna march forward together yeah. and we're gonna survive. Um teenage plus, you know, just like land. Teenage yeah. Wasteland yeah. is a pretty good way to that could really be the sum up the title of this show. <laughs> yes. It, totally, yeah. So so Bob O'Reilly is kind of like my ultimate anthem for the song or uh, for the, the show. Um, and Kelly says, I have a playlist of songs used in the hundred, um, and has a particular yes. love for added up oh, yeah. in the car. Yeah. Which is a great song. They, whoever does their selections for their music does an awesome job yes. because they have really well, good music. And like, my, my favorite itself. thing about the running device of, um, the way this show in, in seasons three and season four has used contemporary music is the, like the little, um, the sort of little subtle underpinning that every time we hear one of those songs from the iPod, we're learning a little bit more about Maya. 
like it it keeps sort of fleshing yeah. out who she was as a person and how like diverse her music tastes were and so they pick these songs that like work perfectly in the moment for what they are and you understand why Jasper likes them but you also can sort of see it as like oh my god Maya would totally have that on her iPod you know so it's just like a sort of little like um, yeah. continue to flesh her out as a person posthumously through the music collection that she had which is just such a like beautiful subtle little note running through it which I just love Yes. Oh, and my Raven song, um, Caitlin, speaking of Rage Against the Machine, Gorilla Radio by Rage Against the Machine. I never put that together, and now that's all I'm going to think about because that is so perfect. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) It's, like, so perfect. Yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, like, Rage Against the Machine just in general, like, all of Rage Against the Machine is good. I had – I came out with the song was, but I made Uh, made a playlist, like a a Rebel Squad playlist in season three for um, uh, Harper and Miller and Octavia and Kane. And I can't remember now what it was, but I think there was, like, two Rage Against the Machine songs on it because it was basically, like, everything here fits. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. And for our last question, it's a fun little question. This is from Cece, who is Sophos Light, um, on, I believe, Twitter and Tumblr. If you were a grounder, what would your clan be like? Which is <laughs> an interesting thing to think about. Um, I still, I think my clan would be made up of people who really seriously thought they were going to die at the beginning of the apocalypse and just not dying. And, <laughs> and, uh, are, are sort of like have a society built around avoidance and, um, <laughs> and like as much inactivity as possible. <laughs> So I guess like uh, they would be um, scavengers, maybe I don't know, and um, and read a lot of books, and yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm describing like multiple, which may or may not. I feel like mine mine would be like um like a matriarchy, obviously, um and um and would be all the like arts and crafts people like we like live on a little island away from like like no war or like on an oil rig like luna um and it's all the like hippie arts and crafts people who just want to like make stuff and like write poems and like bring each other's hair (laughs) and like sculpt things and do like like nerdy artsy (laughs) stuff and it was just like oh there's politics happening over here we don't care we live on an oil rig basically i'd be luna (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> only without the like the yeah, murder yeah, zero beforehand murder. it would just yeah. be all zero murder exactly all yeah. i feel like mine would be like <laughs> near the beach and like we're all on the water sort of like luna but like i'm not going out to the oil rig like i'd like to stay on the sand and we're all just like sort of having some jasper like parties we're not getting involved in the pot i'm describing the west coast like i want to live on the west coast so. yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. I just want that. California grounders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think you would be you would be a member of that um, clan that evolved. From yeah. The drivers of yeah. 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 That, yeah. Uh, I'm part of the Burning Man crew. Yeah. I guess for me, I'd like chillin'. Yeah, I like crew. Because I grew up. I, I showed horses for 13 years. We had. I want to be in a clan. Cat, we had sheep and Go cattle ahead, and chickens, so I'd probably be like the herder. Mm-hmm taking care of the animals, Mm -hmm. stuff like that.
I would want my clan to be separated more so from all the other clans. I would be a little more peace-loving. I'd like to stay out of the politics of it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... You know, I had once read a fan fiction where, like, Clark was a grounder and her family had um, holed up in a bunker for X number of years. And they had, like, this huge library attached to their bunker. And then when they finally opened it up, it was more of a passing through kind of place for the grounders to come and say, okay... You know, we want to learn how to grow corn or we want to learn how to do this. And they would come and use the library and then kind of leave and take all of the issues with them, which I, I kind of like the simplicity of that, being holders of knowledge, but not That's really getting into the foray of all the politics of it. There's, I think Shosh actually wrote a f- uh, fic like that sometime last year or something where well, no, because Bellamy was the grounder in the the library, the librarian crew Ooh. in Shosh's. So I, there might be more than one. I don't know. But it's pretty hilarious because it's basically just like Bellamy, you know, Bellamy's clan is like the librarian slash historian. So he just spends the entire time cl- telling Clark like, oh, yeah, no, that's not actually how that happened. It happened like this. But everybody forgets <laughs> that. <and> blah, blah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be a fun clan to be a part of. The, the sort of like yeah, record oh, keepers. Yeah. Clerks clan, clerk clan, clerk crew, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> Kelly says, adding to Claire's idea, I'd like to have, I'd have that sort of clan um, as a band of traveling players, which would be really cool. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've like read Station, Station 11. 11. Yeah. Kelly, um, yeah, yeah. So Station 11 is this post-apocalyptic uh, novel, which is fantastic. It's so amazing. Good. And the world building is amazing. But it's 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 uh, the apocalypse in that one is just a, a giant, a massive pandemic that wipes out like ninety nine point nine percent of the population. But the main character is a part of this, a, literally a traveling group of players. They just go around reciting all the sh- like Shakespeare plays that they have memorized and doing music performances. Um, oh yes, Kelly says I love yeah. Station Eleven exactly that. So yeah, no, I think that would be great if you had like a, a clan that's just like our artists, yeah. you know, and they travel around and they do. They do performances and they sort of like do st- storytelling and they gather stories and they save stories. Like that would be super, mm. super cool. Um, and she also says, I just want the post-apocalyptic, post-apocalypse people need to rebuild civilization with storytelling and creativity. That is one thing I would really like. I would like to hear some grounder stories, yeah. you know, like they must have stories. Yeah, I would, I would love for us to get. We never stop moving. Yeah, I would love for us to get some slice of like, um, like, we get a little hint of it that, like, we know that they have a name, like, Prime Fire, like, they have a name for the story of how the world ended. But we don't hear the story. We just know the story yeah. must exist because Roan's like, oh, right, this is the word for the thing that that is called what happened the first time. And I would love, and maybe maybe we'll get it this season, but I would love for us to get how do, because we saw the flashback. We know how the Sky people tell that story. I would love for us to get a chance to hear how the grounders tell the story of how Prime Fire happened. Yeah, Kelly just reminded us that um, they had the shark, the girl telling the the shark story uh on Luna's rig. So there there was a storytelling tradition um, for Fludana crew, but of course they are all dead now. So yeah, that sucks. That's a positive. (laughs) And on that note. Uh, whoops sorry (laughs) maybe she somehow lived actually I don't know maybe maybe Luna knows all of the stories and she'll remember them I bet she does 
that would actually be you know what to add to your your way of ending the the um the show claire i think it'd be nice if we had like a tree under which they well, that was so that was my whole like like again not to like quote my own fanfic like a crazy person but that was what my my idea was like the thing that i kept thinking about and then got really emotional about was the idea of like you know like a hundred something years in the future and it's like new unity day it's like the day of the year when they celebrate and then like and it's like kids reenacting the story of the day that everyone like came out of the bunker or whatever and built this new society so there's like a little kid playing the role of roan and like wearing a crown made of sticks and like a little kid playing the role of like um you know they all have names like like octavia the bold and clark the like they all have you know like they become these sort of like like legendary fairy tale figures but it's like a like the way the oral tradition kind of magicifies historical things that happen you know in the sort of the way the story ron would be so happy <laughs> That he actually would become part of like a yeah a yeah yeah of the Rings oh yeah playing situation like if in <laughs> destiny he was born for like finally like living That's up to right, Grandpa yes. Theo's giant crown yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so I like I like that idea that like the oral tradition like of us getting to see a little slice of the way legend you know sort of sort of bastardizes and sort of exaggerates but keeps the heart of the real thing that happened and sort of turning these characters that we know, like, you know, Raven, the magical girl who could fix anything. And, you know, and Lexa, the last commander and, you know, like, and, and sort of like amplifying the things that we saw that made them interesting and turning them into these sort of figures that live on in stories, because then they don't ever really die, (laughs) even if they die. Yes. That would be wonderful. It probably won't happen. And they could, and they can have yes, it for exactly. free. Unlike my horrible <laughs> idea, which you have to pay me for. <laughs> Copyright 2017. Aaron, so Jason, Jason Rothenberg, if you're listening, I'm available to come into the writer's room and write the series finale for you. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> I've already planned this out. I've got so many ideas. We'll talk. Coffee's on me. i got a whole plan. <laughs> Uh, Uh, all right well thank you guys so much for taking part of your sunday afternoon to come talk with us and it's been a pleasure thank you so much on here and thank you guys so much for listening and supporting the podcast yeah really awesome thank you for having us it was the best so much (laughs) thank you of course um and we will uh let's see so It'll be a couple of weeks yet before we'll be back with new episodes of both the show and the podcast. So in the meantime, don't go too crazy over hiatus. <laughs> we do have, we've got a couple of outtakes that will be popping up over the next couple of weeks so that we, so you have some fun new meditation things to look forward to. Um, but yeah, and then, and then we'll see you Hooray! back here for 409 on I don't even know what day. At some at some future point. <laughs> is it 409? Is it 410? What is it really is. 409 or 410? Oh my god. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. What is real? Up is yeah. down. Black is white. 100% I'm going to screw that up when we do the podcast. Just like, I just know it right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Alrighty, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.